0: So we are in the series finale of what we've been doing all summer. I can't believe it's the end of July. What in the world happened to this summer? It rained all summer. I think that was part of the problem. But um, it's July 26th. We started this series the beginning of June, and that was eight Sundays ago. And today we're going to do this series finale. Of, through the, We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is one of the poetry books, philosophical book, where King Solomon, he was a guy who had everything, money, fortune, fame, etc. At the end of his life, he's asking some very difficult questions. He, he wanted to know, what's the point of life? Why isn't life fair? Where can I truly find happiness and satisfaction? Um, what happens when you die? And how much money is enough? And today we're going to answer this last question that he asks, why should I work so hard? That four-letter word that everybody loves so, so greatly, right? Work. <laughs> the Bible has a lot to say about work. Four times Solomon asks this. Look at your notes. Ecclesiastes 2, and 23. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? You might be asking that question. Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. It is all meaningless. A couple bumper stickers I found about how people feel about that. Look at that one. That might be on your car. I think we took these out in the parking lot last week. I'm on my way to work. Please kill me. A bad day of fishing still beats a good day at work. How many agree with that? It's or golf, right? I had a life, but my job ate it. <laughs> I like that. The reason those bumper stickers are out there is people, Solomon included, often view work as this something that's dreadful, something that's toilsome, something that's just labor. And the truth is we, people, are working harder and longer than, than ever before. Longer and harder and stress-filled, you know, health problems and so forth. I like the show Undercover Boss. Who's ever seen that show? Yes, I'm admitting that. And it's on Netflix, so I can watch it when I want to. But Undercover Boss is this show where the CEO of like a big corporation will he goes undercover and he works with the different areas of his company to know, like, how's the blue collar work going? How's the difficult work going? The, the, the more tedious tasks, how are they being done? How are we as a, as a corporation really doing? And he, they learn things to make their company better and so forth. But the reason I really like the show is the CEO who did not know his, you know, maybe the the company's headquartered in Chicago, but he goes to Alabama and meets somebody, a factory worker, and hears their health problems, their family problems, and at the end of the show, they always kind of bless somebody, and it's always kind of, I cry every time at the end of it, it's kind of like watching Little House on the Prairie, you have to cry every time, (laughs) but you, uh, you know, and you you just see the heart of how hard people work and the struggles, and and it's us, I mean, it's it's the things that, that we go through, it's the real human condition when you work hard and when work is toilsome when work is dreadful it always has a creates a difficult effect on relationships it creates a a difficult effect on your key relationships maybe your marriage your family your friends and it's God doesn't even our relationship with God and God doesn't want it to be that way do you know if you work 40 hours a week from the time you're 16 to you're 65, you will have worked over 100,000 hours. 100,000 hours of your life. So this thing called work, and we tend to see people we work with more than we do our own families. Because the amount of time that goes into work. So we need to answer this question, why should I work so hard? Let's start before, what does the Bible say about work? This is on your notes. What does the Bible have to say about work? Well, first of all, God created work. You're going, dang it, God, why would you do that? God, but God created work. He modeled work in creation. He, he created, you know, the scripture says six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And when God created this thing called, he actually called it good. It says, I, I'm just gonna read it to you in Genesis chapter 1. He has created Adam and Eve in his own image and he says, may they rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. He made them male and female. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, "I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food, etc." So He creates work, and, at the, and His creation, and He calls it good. You got to get that first thing tucked away in your mind that God calls work good. He told Adam and Eve to work. Then the Bible says that God crowns His work by modeling the Sabbath. And I'm going to talk about that here in a little bit. What does it mean and why did God create the Sabbath? Because it says he worked on six days and on the seventh day he rested. God obviously doesn't need to rest, but he was modeling that for you and I. Then God curses work. This is, the, this is the where it gets a little negative for a minute. But if you can... Stay with me for a second. In the, in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, He told them, Here, this is all yours. Work the ground, grow, grow the fruit, grow the seeds, etc. Plant the seeds, grow your crops. But I reserve this one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I reserve that for me. Do not eat of this tree. Well, like all of us, they wanted to be their own boss, and they were tempted by the by the devil to eat and to to disobey the Lord and not take him at his word and God had said if you eat of this tree you're gonna die and so what ends up happening is is they're tempted to eat and the curse falls all mankind entered into to sin it says sin entered into the into the world Romans 5 talks about that And when God curses work, this is what he says. He says to Adam, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So this change happens. Then we're walking down the timeline here. Children of Israel leave Egypt out of slavery, out of Egypt. Moses leads them, you know, uh, towards the promised land. And God, in the Ten Commandments, talks about the Sabbath. He says to keep the Sabbath. There's, there's all the commands that are, that are given in the Ten Commandments. And the fourth is to remember the Sabbath. God in his mercy, knowing that how hard mankind would work, knowing how, how hard life was gonna be, said you need to take a day off. You need to take a day of rest. You gotta do it. So he commands that in his mercy. Whatever God commands, it's always for our good. Then Jesus comes along the scene in the Gospels and he redeems work. He does his finished work on the cross, and he sheds light on what work is really supposed to be about. Jesus was a carpenter, so he worked hard. He knew all about work himself. And Jesus one day was with his disciples, and they were in the fields of grain, and it says that his disciples were plucking the heads off of the grain to eat it on the Sabbath. Well, the Jews had taken the laws and added traditions and things that weren't necessarily in the, in the scriptures or what God had commanded. They added these rules to it and, and, and kind of blew it out of proportion and they forgot the principle of, of the rest of the Sabbath. And so they were trying to, to catch Jesus being a bad Jew. And so they basically said, look, he lets his disciples do work on the Sabbath because they were eating. Well, Jesus explains to them that the Sabbath wasn't created for God. It was created for man so that we would understand what it meant to rest. Then in, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul takes this redeeming of work a little bit further. And he tells us that, that Paul encourages us to work as unto the Lord. He tells us to work as unto the Lord. And then like whatever you do, he's saying do it as remembering that Jesus is the ultimate boss. Jesus is the one we're, we're trying to please And then Jesus promises to reward our work on earth in eternity. In the parable of the talents, he he alludes to that what we do with our life and what we do with what we've been called to here on earth, he's going to reward ultimately in heaven. It's going to affect what we do in heaven. I don't know if you know this or not, but life in heaven, when the new heavens and the new earth happen, there's going to be work. There's going to be significance. There's going to be things that we do. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute because you're thinking, dang, work in heaven. I thought that was just here. <laughs> no, but it, it'll be good. It's not gonna be the struggle and the toil. It'll be different. And then in, uh, work in heaven will not be toilsome or labor, but significant and special. Revelation 22.3 says that the curse in heaven is completely lifted. Jesus took the curse from us and it's ultimately gonna be fulfilled in eternal life. So how should I work? How should I work? I was thinking about this and I thought, how about just the ABCs of work? I'm going to give you three points and you're just going to remember A, B, and C as a way to remember, you know, there's many in this room right now, you don't like your job. Let's just be honest. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Maybe your boss is in the room, but you know, You don't like your job. You're struggling with what you do. You're struggling, you know, is this amounting amounting to anything? What is the point of all of this? Let me give you a couple thoughts on this from from Ecclesiastes and other scripture. First and foremost, I would tell you this. The A would be avoid the extreme attitudes regarding work. You can write that down on your notes. Avoid extreme attitudes about work. And there's two extremes. You can write the first one down. That's laziness. Avoid the extreme of laziness. Solomon says this, the fool won't work and almost starves, but feels that it is better to be lazy and barely get by than to work hard when in the long run, it is all so futile. That's some tough words there. There's a big difference between not being able to work and not wanting to work. Let's just, you know, nobody enjoys work all the time. There are parts of our lives and our jobs that it's not about that. It's, it's we're, we are told to work. In the New Testament, when they lived in community together, Paul told the church at Thessalonica in 2 Thessalonians, he said he was warning idle people. He was warning people who in this community, you were living together, right? And they had jobs that they had to do and work the farm, make food, etc., etc. And he said, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's some tough words. He said, if you don't work, you, you don't eat. You're part of this community. If you don't work, you, you don't eat. And that's like somebody saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to sit around and Play video games all day and, and do nothing, and, and I'm gonna let somebody else do all the work, and I, I expect to eat at dinner time. Paul said, No, 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 we all contribute to this. So it's important that we avoid this extreme attitude of laziness. But then the other one is this it's the workaholic. Write that down the workaholic. Solomon says about the workaholic here is someone who lives alone. He has no son, no brother, yet he is always working, never satisfied with the wealth he has. For whom is he working so hard and denying himself any pleasure? This is useless too and a miserable way to live. This person who's a workaholic is, they're so wrapped up in their work. All they can think about is work. They find their identity in their work. They're driven to be successful. That's beyond a healthy, godly way of being driven into this. I find my identity in my success. I find my identity in my work. That's all a workaholic can think about or talk about is their work. Uh, Brian gave, told me about uh, this guy that he got to meet named Marcus Limonis. And he's the guy that has the TV show, The Prophet. Think it's on like CNBC. And so he's a self-made billionaire and uh, showed me this video. I wanted to try to download it, but we, we, we could, weren't able to do that. So I'll just quickly tell you his story. Um, he, he, he is the CEO of Camping World, which, you know, it started from relationships that he had with other you know, very, very rich men and, and created this thing called Camping World. He's responsible for like six thousand employees. They do over three billion dollars a year in sales and so on and so forth. And when he's he he's admits that he's a workaholic, that he just works too much. Now there's there's some folks in this room, you work a lot of hours because you have to. And I get that. Please do not hear You've you got to do what you got to do to make ends meet. I, I, I get that, and I believe God understands that. But finding that balance between I'm, why am I doing what I do and having that peace with the Lord is important because Marcus Limonis, when he was asked about the quality of his life, he says that he enjoys working all the time, but he says he really doesn't have any quality personal relationships. People who are workaholics, they they tend to run over people to get to success they run over people to get to where they want to be and in this video he just basically talks about how work and life balance has escaped him yeah he's got 3 billion dollars and he's successful and he even said this he said a good chunk of marriages fall apart when a spouse is an entrepreneur when when, when one of the spouses is an entrepreneur creating business creating it's easy for a for a marriage to to suffer from that. So God doesn't want us to be lazy nor be a workaholic. But he does want us to have a good work ethic. That's gonna be the B in this ABCs of work. He wants us to have good work ethic. He wants us to live by some of his basic principles. When we have good work ethic, we will avoid laziness and we'll avoid workaholicism, if you will. Um, and many of you in this room, you're in jobs that just are, 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 you don't like. You're in a job that's just frustrating to you. You're in a job that seems like it has no end and, and you're even struggling to make ends meet. The challenge that I want you to remember is you represent Jesus. Whatever you do, you represent Jesus. And what you, you know, don't ever confuse what you do for a living with who you are in Christ or find your identity in that. What you do for a living is, is how you earn a living. Who you are is your calling. Who you are is how God's called you to, to make a living. And it's an assignment that he can change whenever he wants to. But your greatest challenge is, remember, you represent Christ. First thing I would tell you this. The first ethic that you need to have ingrained in your heart is be responsible. Write that down. Be responsible. He says in Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good name is better than precious ointment. You know what I think that means? He's saying it's, it's better to be good than to smell good. Right? That was a joke. But it is. It's better to be good than smell good because what happens to cologne and perfume? After a while, it wears off. But your reputation, good or bad, will last. And a person who's responsible on the job, who keeps their word, that that is honest, that's on time, that that has a good work ethic, that reputation lasts the same way as when we, we don't work hard, when we're not on time, when we don't keep our word. Here's a simple challenge. What would your coworkers say about you and your responsibility? How serious do you take your responsibilities at work? I know that's challenging a little bit, especially when you're in a job that you don't like. But God wants us to represent him and represent him well on the job. Outwork everybody in whatever you do. Outwork them. Second thing I would tell you is this. Be cooperative. Be cooperative when you work. He says in chapter 4, verse 9, two are better off than one because together they can work more effectively. Strive for cooperation. Strive for unity. Strive to be helpful. Cooperation is the heartbeat of any team. Here at church, is this church novation, if we don't cooperate as a team, then we're not gonna be the effective church that God desires us to be. It takes all of us cooperating together. Uh, in, in a team is always compensating for, for our strengths and our weaknesses. So we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, and when we come together, we compensate, we balance that out when we cooperate together. Do that on your job. It's a great work ethic to have. Then I would tell you this, be teachable, be teachable. This can be hard to be teachable when you have a, you know, a job or a, a boss that you feel you're more competent than. And this guy or gal is telling you what to do or how to do the job. How many enjoy that? That's, that's, that'll test your Christ likeness, will it not? But you gotta stay humble. You gotta stay teachable and, and stay teachable before the Lord because you're not working for that person. You're working as un, unto the Lord. Don't ever forget that. I I realize that a a message about work isn't a touchy-feely, you know, you know, emotional message. It's important, though. You're gonna probably spend 100,000 hours of your life working. We better know how to do this, right? And then I would say this. Be enthusiastic. Thanks a lot, Scott. Yeah, love my job. I'll be enthusiastic. Here's what he says in chapter 9, verse 10 Work hard at whatever you do. Work hard at whatever you do. You and I can't control much. You can't control people, circumstances. Here's what you do get to control you can control your attitude. You can come to work every day with an attitude that's different maybe than everybody else around you. And who knows, when you're enthusiastic and you have these good work, work ethics, that often does spread to other people. And you, you just remember that you, how you work is reflecting your relationship with Christ. It's reflecting your walk with him. Whether it's a big job or a little job, a significant job or an insignificant job, do it with all your heart. I think the key to this, to have enthusiasm about your job, if you've lost your enthusiasm about your job, I wanna remind you of three things super quick. First of all, you need to change your attitude and be thankful that you have a job. Be thankful that God is, is giving you this opportunity. If you're in a job that, is, that you, you just absolutely can't stand, first of all, you're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. Request to the Lord, God, I'd love a different job. I I need more. I need more fulfillment. Whatever it is, he wants to hear those requests. He may not answer it like that because he's doing a work inside of you first of thankfulness so that you can be thankful for what it is he's doing and providing in and through your current situation. Thankfulness always leads to contentment, though. If I can be thankful for something, then I'm walking in true contentment, how God wants me to to see life. But here's the thing I want you to get. Thankfulness, but have a, a sense of mission on your job. A sense of mission. You're saying, what in the world are you talking about? Isn't that when we go to the Dominican? Isn't that Rusty and Kristen out on the mission field? No. This whole world around us, we're to have a sense of mission and how we do our jobs, and the and the, the 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 workplace that you have is just like the video said is such an opportunity for you to to show the love of God. You may not get the opportunity to preach to somebody and and always bust out the scriptures, but you can model what Jesus looks like and you can help people in real life problems. You're spending time with these people every day. It is a mission field. It is doing life on mission. To, To live life on mission means... I don't have to go to Uganda or Burma to be a missionary. I can see the world around me and know that people are in need of the gospel. People are in need of, of Jesus and purpose. And so I'm gonna live my life and go to work knowing, you know what, I may not like my job, but Lord, you got a, an appointment for me this morning or this week to meet or talk with somebody. That'll change your attitude. So be responsible, be cooperative, be teachable. And be enthusiastic. All right, the C and the ABCs of, of, of work. I would tell you this. Carve out time for the Sabbath. Why do we work so hard? Work, work, work. Off to work, I go. Shoot me, I'm going to work, basically like the bumper sticker said, right? Well, often we feel that way because we don't take time to carve out for the Sabbath. And maybe you're saying today, what is the Sabbath? If you're new to the Bible, the Sabbath literally means a day of rest. The Sabbath means a day of rest. And God instructed the Jews in the the Ten Commandments to observe the Sabbath, to take a day off, to take a day of rest from your work. We live busy, busy lives. And as I said in my prayer earlier, I sense a burnout amongst many, many people. And it's because we're so busy. We go from here to here to here to here to here. And where do I find time for rest? And you may even laugh when you say, hey, you need to carve out time for rest. And you're thinking, that's great, but how do I do that? Well, look at the blunt words of Solomon in in chapter 10, verse 15, out of the Good News translation. Only someone, yep, too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. That's pretty blunt, right? <laughs> Do you know during the French Revolution and their uh, you know, rebelling against the system, against the old laws, against the Roman Catholic Church, somebody came up with this really, they thought a great idea that Sunday would no longer be a day of rest and a day off, that businesses should be open, everybody should continue working on Sundays. And they instilled this new law that there would not be a day off. And they worked seven days a week. And in, within months, they rescinded that law. Because the health of the people went downhill almost overnight without taking a day off, without taking a day of rest from their work. It's a, it's a, it's God, it told us, when God tells people to do something, he knows what he's talking about and why he would tell us to do that. Look at our, let's, let me read this command from Exodus twenty eight through 11. He says, Observe the Sabbath and keep it holy. You have six days in which to do your work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to me. On that day, no one is to work, neither you, your children, your slaves, your animals, nor your foreigners who live in your, in your country. In six days, I, the Lord, made the earth, the sky, the seas, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, I rested. That is why I, the Lord, blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. Now, maybe somebody in this room is struggling. You saw the word slave in there, and you're saying, is God approved of slavery? No. The word slave had a way different meaning than what we think of in somebody being held against their will to be somebody's slave. This was a whole work-type system. We can talk about it over a Starbucks. I'd love to do that with you. I don't have time to go in deeper than that, but don't trip over that. If you look around our lives, if you look around our culture, do we do this? Do we observe the Sabbath and keep it holy? Definitely our culture doesn't. So I would tell you this, listen, I don't expect the culture who doesn't believe the Bible to obey the Bible. Do you? That's kind of ridiculous, right? But those of us who say we do believe the Bible, that we do believe in scriptures, do we keep this day the way God wants us to keep it and understand why he wants us to keep it. I guess a good way to look at this, in the 10 commandments, you see all the scriptures. Don't have any other gods before me. Don't make idols. Keep the Sabbath. Um, Don't misuse the name of the Lord. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Does the command to not murder still apply today? Of course it does within the 10 commandments that God gave us, he gave those for a reason and it does still apply for us today. Why do we not do that? Why is that so hard to rest? God's commands are for our good. Whatever God commands us, he commands it for our good. He knows what's best for us. Even when we think we know what's best, he does. I'm surrendered to that. Listen, God knows better than me. I don't always, I fail him all the time, but I know he knows what's best for me. And so listen, don't let this become legalism. There are people who have taken the the principle of the Sabbath and it can become very legalistic. I've been to Israel a couple times and in the more orthodox parts of Jerusalem and Israel, they take the Sabbath literally to where we got up for breakfast and we couldn't turn the coffee maker on because that was work. So you had to have instant coffee. Somehow that wasn't work, but but to turn in a, the the coffee maker on w- w- was work, and you couldn't. Do, so you can get the way in Jesus' time, the way the Pharisees trying to keep this rules and regulation that was not the heart of what taking a Sabbath was all about. It's not legalism or a legal obligation. It's a principle. Remember that. It is a principle. In, in the book of Colossians, you, if you wanna write that, this down and follow me up, Colossians 2, 16, and 17, Paul is instructing these new believers, the, Col- the Colossians, that don't let anybody look down on you for not keeping the religious traditions, new moon festivals, or, the, or, or what the Sabbath is, the day of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a principle, it's not a day. Now, there are many people that would like to argue that, Maybe they go to a church where they, they only go to church on Saturday because that's truly the Sabbath. Why do we have the Sabbath on Sunday if the Jews celebrated it on, on Saturday? Well, the, the, the Christian tradition is Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. So the early church decided we're going we're gonna to call it the Lord's Day and celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. So that's why that happened. There's been silly, silly church wars and this over the years, it's a principle. And if you don't agree with that, cool. You know, uh, we, 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 we see it as a principle here and I'd love to talk about it with anybody, but I'm not gonna make a big trouble over that. Here's what Jesus said. He told the Pharisees when his disciples were picking grain and they, they said, look, he's, he's working on the Sabbath. He's disobeying God. He said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. God wants to prevent burnout in our life. He wants to prevent, he knows how we're wired. He made us. He's your creator. Your creator knows what you need more than you ever will. Most of the time we're running on instincts. God knows what's best for us. And when it's written in the word, it's there for a reason for us. Here's a couple things that the Sabbath allows us to do. This is important. The Sabbath allows you and I to rest our bodies. You can write that down. It allows you to rest your body he told them, rest from your work. If you're going to do your best, it requires rest. I'm a poet and I didn't know it, right? But it's true. If if you're going to do your best, it's going to require rest. Don't use your day off to catch up on work you haven't done. We're all guilty of that. Me and Janelle, we take Mondays off and we try to do do nothing, but just focus on, on our marriage and so on and so forth. And and, man, I struggle not trying to prepare a sermon or whatever. I mean, I, it is, it's been a, a, a hard deal not to just... We could work all day long, every day, and never feel like... You know, but, listen, your work will be there the next day. Take a day off. Rest your body, first and foremost. Then recharge your emotions. Recharge your emotions on your day off. Do something fun, play. I got a great idea. Go to a baseball game with your church family and eat food that's bad for you and and hang out together and, and do something that's fun. Be quiet. Read. Some of you, you're introverted. And if you don't find alone time where you can sit and talk to nobody... Hey, I live with some introverts. I, it can get difficult, right? If, you're, if you don't get that non-talking time, you're just going to blow, blow a screw, right? But extroverts, we recharge how? We recharge being with people. So whatever it is you need to recharge yourself emotionally, make sure that that happens. The other thing a sa- the Sabbath does for us is it l- allows us to refocus our spirits, it allows us to refocus our spirits. In planes, they have something called a, a uh, gyro compass. And it, it needs to be recalibrated so that it's working right, so you get to that, you know that true north direction. Well, life creates, us the need, creates for us the need to refocus and to recalibrate, man. You need to nurture your spirit. You need it. Why do we come together on Sundays for corporate worship? We come together because we're instructed in Scripture, first and foremost, to come together. And we're, we come together and we worship. We give ourselves to the Word, to prayer, to one another, to the fellowship. We break bread together, mostly breakfast burritos, but we break bread together. We eat together. We do, do life together. Now, you need to, to be in the Scriptures and prayer every day. To feed yourself but there is this corporate element that honestly we kind of go eh? maybe I need church maybe I don't it's a very churchless age that we're living in where people they don't see the value and the need of it and yet we're warned in the book of Hebrews to not forsake the fellowship the, the coming together to, uh, to, we need one another we need that encouragement from one another but I think I would say this, and I'm going to tread lightly as I do this, but the, the, the culture easily says that, you know what, work hard and play hard. Work hard all week so you can play hard on the weekends. You know what, I agree. It, it is good. You should, we should play. We should enjoy life. But if all you do is work hard and play hard... You know what? You tend to forget that there, you're gonna think that that's all there is to life. So I work hard, then I go do my thing. And that's not how, how God, the ultimate purpose of your life is to just work and play. The, the purpose of our lives is to serve God and to serve each other. Love God, love people. So I can become very self-focused if I work hard and play hard and forget there's a greater part to being part of the community that, uh, that God's called us to. And then lastly... The Sabbath allows us to renew our relationships. It allows us, us, when we take time to hang out together with family, with friends. You know, we say this at at Novation a lot. We don't want to come to church, we wanna be the church. And I was thinking about that this week. We don't wanna be just so focused on us that we're not effective outside of, of, of coming together. But in order to be the church outside of this, you gotta come be with the church. I'm telling you, people who are closer to, to, in their walks and most effective are people that at least make some time to come be with the church. be with the church. Jesus said this in Matthew 11:28 and 29. He said, "Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble. And gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden, the burden I give you, is light. Listen to that. Jesus' invitation this morning is that we come to him and give him our burdens, give him our weariness. If today you're carrying a burden, you're carrying weariness from work and from life, here's what he says to do take my yoke upon you. And what that means, if you can picture two oxen working together to plow a field and the yoke, this walking with Jesus, it's his invitation to let him walk in your shoes, to walk in your life, to be your Lord, to be your Savior and Lord, and to learn how to do life from him. He says, I'm gentle and humble at heart. You'll find true rest. Work is a burden, it can be a burden. And work is a burden to, 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 to many, many people in this room. You're weary. Here's my, what I think Jesus would challenge you with is how would he work if he was yoked with you? If he was following you around on a daily basis, doing your job, he was right by your side, everywhere you went, how would he talk to the people? How would he take instructions? How would he cooperate? What would he bring to the work situation? If you can learn to do that, I think your work attitude about your work will change. You'll find rest. We're told in scripture that Jesus is our true Sabbath rest. He's the Lord of the Sabbath, he's the Lord of rest. And when you enter into a relationship with him and believe that he died on the cross for you and rose from the dead and is coming again and has purpose for your life and that you'll turn away from a life of of self-destruction, self-righteousness, self-centeredness. You turn from self and say, be the boss of my life. He promises to give you new life and to give you what life's really about. So would you commit to avoiding the extremes of laziness and being a workaholic? Would you commit to a good work ethic and then carve out time for rest, take a day off? Would you stand to your feet with me? you